Good morning and Merry Christmas. I am thrilled that you're joining with us, joining us on this fourth week of Advent for Christmas Sunday. Some of you have been with us, I know, well before the pandemic started, but others of you maybe started watching and attending our services online within the last nine months, maybe from different parts of the state, the country, or even the world. And wherever you're joining us from today, I am so glad that you're here because today is Christmas Sunday. And on Christmas, besides all the food, the family, and the presents that may be part of a normal holiday season, the church gets excited because this is when we observe the birth of Jesus Christ in our calendars. And that's a huge deal for us as the church, as Christians, because Christians have always believed that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, sent for the forgiveness of our sins and the renewal of all things. And that's what we're talking about this season, the incarnate Son of God. Each week of Advent in our series, Word Became Flesh, we've been exploring different stories of God's touch. And we've been anchoring our series in John's Gospel, chapter 1, where it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God became flesh. And how perfectly meaningful that reality is for us today, living a quarantine life, distanced, separated, and untouchable in some ways. None of us fully realize just how much we took handshakes and hugs for granted until all of that was stripped away from us in the pandemic. And FaceTime, Zoom, and Skype, as wonderful as that technology has been in this crisis, it's just not enough because human beings need touch. We need touch. The sense of touch is actually critical to our humanity. All the other senses we have, sight and hearing and taste and smell, human beings can somewhat endure without them. And our bodies actually can compensate without one of those senses. But losing the sense of touch is different. It, it, it actually really cripples us. It becomes hard to survive without it. There's this thing called skin-to-skin -skin contact. When a child is born, and uh, for typical births, when the baby is born, it's placed directly on the mother's chest right after the delivery. This first experience of touch, of skin-to-skin -skin contact, is so important for the relational, developmental, and health reasons of, th of this child. It calms both the mom and the baby. It, it regulates the baby's heart rate and breathing. It stimulates breastfeeding for both the mother and the child. It, it regulates the newborn's temperature. And what's really interesting, the bacteria from the mother's skin actually passes to the baby to help protect against infection. You see, when you're born, the first act of touch actually helps you to live. And it's been found that children who are not touched in these early years suffer incredible damage to both physical and behavioral development. When our twins were born, it was discovered that Farah had preeclampsia, a complication with the pregnancy that swells your hands and feet and raises your blood pressure to an unhealthy and dangerous level. The only way to get rid of it is to not be pregnant. And so Farah has this emergency C-section at 32 weeks, which is two months before the, the twins' due date. And because of this premature birth, one of our daughters is born not breathing and has to be whisked off to be worked on by the doctors and nurses. The other one gets, uh, Farah gets to see 
just for a few seconds before they have to take her off to the neonatal unit as well. Farah's blood pressure after the delivery is still high and it's still fluctuating. So she has to stay in bed in her room for a few days before she even gets to see or touch these girls that she just gave birth to. This whole time, Farah's crying because she, she thinks she's going to die. And the nurses and doctors are actually kind of concerned about her, her health as well. Now, of course, the great husband that I am, I'm just so excited about the girls being born that I'm just texting my friends and family that the babies are born. I'm so happy. I don't even notice how much distress my wife is in. Now, when the seriousness of the situation finally gets through my thick head, I tell Farah, I say, well, I'm, I'm going to stay with you then. I'm just going to be by your bed. And, you know, it's midnight at this time, and I haven't seen the girls either. But Farah says, no, you have to go into the NICU with them. The girls need one of us to be there because we're remembering all the parenting classes that we took and how important this moment is to have some sort of skin-to-skin contact with these babies. And what should have been a mother's privilege to be the first parent to touch these newborns, Farah gives to me. And in a moment of motherly sacrifice, she sends me away from her side at a time when she honestly thinks she's gonna die so that I can be with these girls in the flesh during these first moments of life. Now, when a parent is able to touch their kid for the first time, no matter if it's a birth parent or adopted parent, everything your arms and hands do, it's just trying to communicate how much you love and care for this little human. It's through touch that we communicate our love for this child. And it's an important mode of communication because you don't have to know any language. You don't have to speak to understand. All babies, all humans for that matter, we understand, don't we, when we receive a caring touch? Now, understanding all of that, what does it mean when John says, the Word of God became flesh, skin and muscle and bones. God became fully human in order to touch us. The full message of the gospel contained in the flesh of Jesus, unleashed each time he touches another human being. And who is this first human being that God touches? The virgin's name was Mary. This young peasant girl from the countryside is chosen by God to receive the first skin-to-skin contact from the newborn king. Mary asks, how will this be to the angel messenger? And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This angel says the Holy Spirit essentially is going to wrap around you with power. It's like a divine embrace, a supernatural hug. Now we know from Scripture that Mary conceives and with any typical pregnancy, we can assume that the child kicked and pressed and stomped inside her womb. That's touch. And then she gives birth and we can assume again that Touch was a huge part of this experience. But, you know, the text is actually disappointingly silent on all of these delivery room events. Sacred art, I think, is probably a better window into this. Portrayals of envisioning Mary holding Jesus and having that sort of touch. And we know that Mary didn't just have the baby, wrap him up, and just leave him in a manger and stand away. There's so much implied touch in this story. But there's actually very little obvious touch. But why is the scripture so silent? Why, why doesn't it talk about how she cared for and caressed the baby? Let's read part of this story from Luke chapter 2. 
The scripture says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, I was reflecting on this passage in preparation for today, and as I'm reading, I'm just so disappointed that it doesn't really talk about Mary's touch with Jesus, right? Because that's what I'm looking for in this series. And then I was led to focus on this one verse in that section. It says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. As I studied this passage, I realized that there's this sense of Mary gathering up all that she's witnessed and felt, and she's holding all of it in her heart. And I realize that Mary's posture is a posture of someone who's received. She's receiving all these experiences, all these encounters, all these touches from God, and she's holding them and treasuring them. And the focus actually isn't on Mary because even though she's an enormously important and wonderful character, Mary is not the main character here. God is. Even though I know Mary would have loved this child as her own, the focus is not on Mary's love. The focus is on God's love. You see, this is a story of how God loves and how God touches all humanity through Jesus Christ. That's why Mary is in a receiving posture, because even as the birth mother of Christ, the most influential and intimate of all earthly relationships that Jesus had, she is also a recipient of God's love. And as God begins to unleash the redemptive power of his love for all humanity in the flesh of this child, it almost seems like Mary is so overwhelmed that all she can do is just sit there and treasure what's happening before her eyes. Some of you may recall a story I've shared about a car accident I was in while in high school. I was at this corner of Los Robles and Walnut in Pasadena, California, and I was about to make a left turn just right behind me. I was 17 years old, going to pick up a, a periodical source at the Pasadena Library for an econ project I was doing my senior year. And I was looking at a map that a friend had drawn me to get to the library. And there were no smartphones back then, no, no Google Maps. And while I was waiting in this left turn lane, I noticed that the light turns green out of the corner of my eye and the car ahead of me quickly moves forward to make the, make the turn. Without thinking, I, I follow the car my attention still sort of on this map that's on my steering wheel. And what I did not realize is that this turn was not a protected left, and a red Toyota came pretty fast uh, from the opposite direction 
of the intersection. Our cars collided. We both spun about 45 degrees in opposite directions, and I ended up in the middle of that intersection, the other driver about 30 feet away. The whole front of my car was smashed right up into the windshield where the damage miraculously stops. As I get out, all I can notice is that there's a small cut on my knee from a sharp corner of my keychain. But then as I look over at the other driver, I notice he's in much worse condition. The whole driver's side of his car is smashed in, the window shattered, a small stream of blood coming down his head and he sort of bobs back and forth days from the accident. As it dawns on me what happened, I feel horrible. Look at what you did, I tell myself, simultaneously cursing myself. Standing in the middle of that intersection, two prayers bubble to the surface. The first is, God, if you can do it, please turn back time. I only need about 10 minutes to fix this because I just can't deal with this right now. I, I, I can't do this. Now, of course, God does not turn back time. And so as I walk over to this sidewalk, a second prayer arises, and it's this. God, I know I'm the last person to deserve this, but I really hate myself right now. And if I can be so bold at this moment, all I need is just to know that you love me. All I need is a hug. Now to me, this was a far more unlikely prayer request because frankly, it seemed easier for God to turn back time. And so there's 17-year-old me sitting here on the curb watching as the paramedics and firemen rescue this person and take them to the hospital. And then from out of nowhere, this woman walks up to me and sits down next to me. And she says, these things aren't fun, are they? The most pastoral thing anyone has ever said to me. No, I say. And she says, my name's Valerie. And my friends and I were at that gas station just across the street over there, saw the whole thing. And we go to Fuller Seminary, which is behind you in front of these buildings, where we are training to become pastors. And as we stood there watching, I just felt like God was telling me to come over here and give you a hug. And she puts her arm around me and gives me the best hug that I've ever received in my entire life. I was speechless. I couldn't even mutter the words, thank you. I wanted to tell her, yeah, I, I just told God and then he must have told you. And, but all I could do was sit there, unable to move. Valerie sat with me just a few minutes more till the police came and took care of me, and then she left. I don't know where she is, if she's serving in a church right now, or maybe if she was just an angel sent by God. But what I do know is that God hugged me that day, and I firmly believe that it pleased him to do so. In that one simple hug was the word of God become flesh, the entire good news of Jesus Christ in that one act of physical contact. I don't know where you find yourself this Advent. Jobless, struggling, hungry, sick, exhausted, hopeless, broken, or maybe just really lonely. You've all had a tough year, really tough. But God is reaching out to you. He loves you. He wants to hug you. That's why he became flesh. That's why he still becomes flesh. This Christmas, you might spend the whole day inside and without anybody else. 
but you're not alone. And whether it be a physical touch that he gives you or just a sense that you feel in your spirit and in your heart, may you experience and sense God's real and incarnate presence in your life this week as he reaches out to touch you. Merry Christmas, everyone.